0: Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. King James uses the phrase, walk in the Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Those two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, side note here. Do you know how you know those two things are still fighting in you, with you? And we're going to read the scripture somewhere today if the Lord doesn't come to get us before. Jesus said... If you ask me for anything and believe, you shall receive it. Anybody reach that level in your prayer yet? That just everything you ask for manifests? Okay. No, 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 no. So there's still things from heaven that God wants to get to earth through you. Just say amen. That helps me. All right, here we go. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of sinful nature, now in case this ends up as a a, a spot on TikTok, or in case this offends someone, I want you to know I'm simply just reading what the Scripture says. Okay? Okay? So, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear sexual immorality. I thought it would be quiet. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Now, I want to say, I don't want, again, I don't want to offend anybody. Wild parties, we are supposed, as Christians, we're, we are allowed to have parties. Wild parties is so that no one is offended that he doesn't use the actual word in this translation. But let me tell you, wild parties here in scripture is, is talking about swapping people. And I'll leave it at that you say amen and I'll move on. Amen. Okay, good. I just dodged a ditch. Uh, where are we? Okay. Enviness, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Everybody read this part with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I wasn't sure you were going to read patience and self-control with me. There is no law against these things, even in America. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every, shout in every, in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another and shout amen. You may be seated. I have lived long enough and had enough birthdays to become known as old school. So please, please, as I preach this morning, understand that that is the framework in which I come from, in which that the Lord speaks to me as I study the scripture. Again, today I want to reference our freedom as Christians, as Pastor Corey taught us last week and talked about as Christians, that we are freed to do the things, and the things in which the scripture that Paul here is getting to is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We recognize that we continually have this battle between our natural nature and our divine nature through Christ. Just say amen. I know it's not popular. I know this could get me canceled. It might get a picket outside my classroom. It might. But, but according to uh, the word of God, man left to himself is not good. Man left to himself is not kind. Okay, I'm sure even men like Adolf Hitler had moments that looked like kindness, but that's not Bible Kindness. Just say amen. Amen. The problem is that inside this human body, we have been given God-given natural, normal desires that left within us unsacrificed to the Lord will only move according to the environment in which we live in. So if you are an unbeliever who's living half the hog, you may look well. Take your hog away and put you in a prison, and you may marry a hog. Come on. That's what they did in Russia. They literally married dogs. No, just say amen. That's a, that's a, that's a path I don't want to go down. These desires are even needs. You have God given, God ordained, God divinity of physical, emotional, ambitious, legitimate needs. Somebody say amen. All good, all from God. Say amen. Now if you use the now, I'm gonna use the analogy basketball but you could use it to playing an instrument. You could use it to whatever job or whatever you could apply or make it applicable to whatever analogy you wanted to give. When it comes to getting together a basketball team, some kids hate basketball altogether and never make it to tryouts. They just hate it, can't see the purpose of it. Some kids make it to tryout, and the moment they feel like they might throw up from running, they quit. Some kids make the team. Some kids make the starting lineup. Some kids enjoy practice. Some kids require little coaching, but there are very few basketball players that you just tell them, put the hole in the bucket. Few. Few. Where are you headed? I'm glad you asked. We'll get there. Sin is technically the word to miss the mark. Sin is always the result of one of our natural God-given needs or desires that is taken out of control. Just say amen. It's that southern part in me. That's why I get down a rabbit hole if you don't keep me on my outline here. When a person is in control of their needs and desires, it becomes out of control to the level of which their environment dictates. I don't have time to preach it, but I know some sermon say, well, I'm on my neighbor and he's a good man. Mm-hmm. Give him a year of being Job and see how good he is. Because you get a year of Job, you're going to cry out to God or you're going to act like Pharaoh and bring every plague down. Thank you. That's another rabbit hole. I'm counting these rabbit holes I'm missing. Because of this, a sign of an individual, a family, a community, a culture, or a nation, or even a generation that is walking in their flesh is a sign is when people continuously say, it's not my fault. Let me say that again. A sign of walking in the flesh is when an individual or a family or a community or a culture or a nation or a generation says, it's not my fault. Now, here's the transition in our country. When I was a kid, the neighbor next door who sold drugs, this is hypothetical, still taught his kids... The principles on how to work, behave, and treat people. And I don't want to offend anybody, but the successful drug dealers were using the Bible principles to use to extend their drug business. And by drugs, I mean illegal. Today, we now encounter an environment that doesn't believe that there is any restraints. I didn't get the source, but I heard just this week that we are not a place in our country that 70% of Americans will live and die and never don the door of a church or be invited to one. I tried to find the source. I heard a minister say that. I'll say it one more time. A sign, and I'll just narrow it down, that a person says it is not my fault is a sign of continually walking in the flesh. Here's why. Because when there is no constraint of morality, when there is no connection to God, what I think I need, what I think I feel, What I think I am, what I think I must have, what I think I must take from you is what I really believe I should have just because I feel it. Now I'm preaching a little better than you're shouting for a southern boy. I told Riley I was going to work really hard to stay to my notes. We as Christians are called to walk in the Spirit and be partakers of His divine nature. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter one and verse four says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given an excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share this divine nature. Say, share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption, corruption caused by human desire. This gospel's not just about getting to heaven. When we crucify our human desires to his divine nature, we escape the corruption of this present world and walk in his marvelous light. Oh, I almost felt like I was in the South. Oh God, help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us be partakers of his divine nature. Is anyone in here willing to give up anything? Is anyone in here willing to do anything to be a partaker of his divine nature? Well, Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. You should shout there because the rest is not shoutable. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. There's a, there's a phrase now, you just need to be your authentic self. Okay, I'm going to say yes in the totality of that, world, that word. If you mean like the prodigal son when it says, when he came to himself. Okay, your real self is not in the hog pen sinning. Your real self is not five girlfriends and you haven't even seen your wife in a week. That's not your real self. Okay. So if you mean by your real self be authentic, then I agree with that. But if you mean I'm in the hog pen and come join me, some of us have been ransomed too long, seen too many things to know. I don't always get it right. I have to have conversations with God on a continual basis, but I'm not about to willingly, knowingly go join you in the hog pen, even if it costs me my life. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. I almost took I felt that. That wasn't the Holy Ghost, that was my religious tradition. But it still felt good. Through a series of events in our life, starting when I nearly died. Thank you for not saying amen to that. It's become more clear to me than ever in my life, both in knowledge and in experience, that the central focus of our Christian life should be the freedom to walk in the spirit and the fruit of the spirit to be alive in us. We're going to look at a couple of things. Start with one sinful nature. I'm not going to read the list again, but I will tell you this. They all have a connection to a natural God-given desire. I think as you look at the list, if he puts it up, you can read and listen at the same time. I pretend at school that kids can be on their phone and listen at the same time so you can read. That's not true. My kids don't have so. That just sounded good to say. It's not true. They don't have phones. Um, I think if you look at the list, though, listed there in verses 19, 20, and 21, it is a smorgasbord of what we see in our families, in our communities. What we see is how people think, how people want to solve a problem. This is exactly what happens when a man wants to solve a problem. And by man, I mean people. I told you, I'm old enough to be old school. (sighs) Thank you. (laughs) The problem comes for the Christian that what we don't recognize is that we're not running out with five girlfriends when we have a wife. But it's just as ungodly and deadly to us if God wants us to go left and we go right. Now, I made that simplistic because if I pick something, somebody's going to say, well, I do that and it's not a problem for me. That's right. That's why each one has to work out their own salvation. There are things clear like we read right here. You cannot say that any of these things, we'll just pick one. You can't say drunkenness is of the Lord. Did he say we couldn't drink alcohol? No, I read the Bible. It said drunkenness. Every religion, Christ or not, is opposed to drunkenness. It's a universal theme that drunkenness or being drunk full or being a drunk er is a damage not only to yourself but to society. You don't have to teach people how to sin. There's no course to you grab a three or four or five-year-old and say, let me tell you how to lie. It's not hard to sin. Lose your connection to God, and sinning will be just as easy as breathing, dependent upon the environment you're in. That's why the Bible says that we don't follow signs. Signs follow us, because whether I have much or little, I am learning. I'd like to say like Paul, I have learned that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. First John, she's going to make me go long. First John 2.16 takes that list and puts them in three categories. John six, uh, John, 1 John 2.16, yes, you can read and I'll summarize. The three categories are lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. These three categories cover every manifestation of sin. The good news is as the believer, if you can trace back to one of these three things, why you just did that stupid thing, Thing, you can then talk to yourself with the testimony of the word of God and begin to get deliverance from not doing that stupid thing continually. Now, you're human, so you're going to do stupid things. You're going to. It's going to happen. Don't do it on purpose. But there will be the grace of God to help you, and hopefully you won't have to repeat it over and over again to learn a lesson. Just say Amen. The lust of the flesh is your natural desires to eat, to drink, to sleep. I don't want to offend anybody, but this is a natural desire, to have sex. Oh, husbands, that was a chance to say amen. (laughs) Anything that the body needs out of the way that God planned for it becomes sin. We can eat too much. We can drink too much. We can sleep too much. We can have relations with the wrong people. All of those. But a wicked person will say, yes, but I needed it. But I wanted it. But I felt it. But I was born this way. But I thought this thing. But I really felt like I needed it. Maybe you did. And apart from a connection from Christ, you will do anything to fulfill that basic human need. Outside of the confines of God, you will fulfill it only according to your environment. That's why people don't know what they are. Now you're gonna take that to a political sense. I didn't mean that, that's up to you. I mean that the people don't know they're a child of God. People don't know that they're a sinner. Now, to what level you take that is between you and the hearer. The lust of the eye. These are the tools in which God gives us to meet the basic needs. Things in the environment can twist our emotions and things and even our view of God. It's the things we see. Which is why, what do they want to sell you with? They want to sell you a basic need, wrapped with a lustful eye, usually wrapped in a celebrity. Why? Because that brings us to the third one. The pride of life. The pride of life is godly ambition outside of God's timing or impatient. You can be a Christian and want to build a church and do it in the wrong place at the wrong time and it still be rebellious. Anything, help me, I'm still in point one. One. Anything done outside of the timing of God, no matter how holy or wonderful it looks, is the pride of life. And whatever you're saying on social media about people who aren't proclaiming Christ, you ought to think ten times about us of the household of faith because we ought to know better. Oh, just saying, man, that's a big ditch I could get lost in. We are, as Christians, continually being lied to by our body, by the environment, and by the constructs of time. This is why men have midlife crisis, because they start doing the math. Oh, my goodness, this might be my last truck. Oh, my goodness, I might not have time to do this thing, right? This is why people feel like they need to get the best tools and the best things to survive the time that they have. This is why people get caught up in what tastes good, what looks good, what feels good. Just say a minute. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was fasting, the devil came to him and tempted him in these three areas. He offered him bread a physical need. He asked him to jump off. It it was an attempt to twist Jesus' connection to the Father and his emotions and devotion. And then he offered him the kingdoms of the world, which Jesus already was going to have once he ascended to the Father. So he offered him a shortcut to his destiny. That's the problem with Abraham and Sarah. Lots of men were having children with their handmaidens. That's not the problem. The problem is it wasn't the way the Lord wanted. It wasn't the timing. So if you really want to be godly, it's not just doing the right thing, but it's doing it the right thing at the right place at the right time. Jesus overcame these three things by his connection to the Father, by fasting prayer, not just prayer by fasting prayer. Say amen. I ain't got time to preach on fasting. And by quoting the Bible. Or he overcame them by three things. And if you don't get anything else today, these are the three things you need to cultivate in your life: relationship connected to God, self-denial through fasting and prayer, and testimony through the word of God. Whew, we could say amen right there. We're not gonna, but we could. As a side note, I want you to note it, I want you to notice that Jesus, this is really the only time that we see a direct temptation to this level. There's another time where he tells tells, um, Peter to get behind him and he invokes the name of of Satan. But for the most part, this is the most serious attack that we have record of. And I want you to note these three things because I bet you'll note them in you too. Jesus was attacked in his weakest areas at his weakest moment. Where was he? Well, Jesus was alone. In a wilderness, Jesus was weak and hungry. And Jesus was vulnerable because he hadn't seen people or things in 40 days. For the Christian, we're not just running around willingly running wild at sin. No, it's times when we're isolated, vulnerable, lying to ourselves and those around us, and we're at our weakest moment that we feel the need, just like Adam and Eve, to hide. And I hate to say this because my natural, my natural personality is an introvert, but you'll see almost every time, especially in the Old Testament, when somebody sins, their first reaction is to hide. If you ask me, hide and seek is a very spiritual game. <laughs> somebody hides representing you, the sinner, and somebody comes to find you representing him, the God. Now, don't get stupid and hide and go seek, because some of you can get in something and die. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit is designed to work within us as we walk in the Spirit through these wilderness experiences. The fruit of the Spirit, to which I'm not going to name them again, and I can't go through them all. Um, Pastors asked me to consider this fall teaching a class, taking this and blowing it up in six to eight weeks. Or I have time. Um, But the fruit of the spirit, I want you to notice a couple things. First off, it's not the fruits of the spirit. It's the fruit. So everybody's like, I'll be loved, but I don't want patience. Okay. I don't have time to teach it. If we do that class and you come, I'll teach it. But patience is really about timing. It's not about what you want. It's about wanting it at the wrong time. Say amen. I've got got a couple analogies. I'm going to use one. And if you get this one, then I can cut the others out and save a little time. Joy's gonna come help me preach for a moment. So instead of thinking, give her a hand, would you? Each one of our children changed our life in a different way. This one, the first two, changed our life. Just face forward, let the people look at you. All you gotta do is stand there and look pretty. The first two in our lives put an incredible power and burden upon my heart to provide, and you can get caught up in that. And by the time this one came along, this one put a credible in my desire in my heart to be around. And I've constantly been trying to fix that balance. This is the fruit of our love. Our relationship, and don't ask me because I'll tell you. Our relationship created her. Now, the good thing is we created her whether we were trying to or not. She is the fruit or the production of our relationship. The natural consequence, now that always sounds negative to you, but it's not always negative. The natural natural consequence of two people getting together and fertilizing a seed. Now, some of you just had wicked thoughts. Some of you had holy thoughts. Some of you got stuff to pray about, but, but I'm just speaking truth. Now, when you see her, you see joy. Joy, sure. Joy Jean Jory. She's seven, and she likes the golf, and she's currently memorizing Psalms 23, and she thinks she's the smartest person in the house. (laughs) Yesterday, I asked her three questions, and I said, if you say yes to these three questions, you are living in the top 83% of the world. And I showed her a scale. This is you, this is everyone else. She said, but, Daddy, why ain't I at the top? (laughs) Okay, perhaps we got a little more. I said you didn't have to talk, but I didn't say I wasn't going to talk about you. Okay, that's what you see in what we've produced. You want to know what I see? I see her holding her head like Sherry Richardson's her grandma. Because her grandma's in there. I see her chin like her grandma Shorey, because Grandma Shore's in there. She's got hands that right now in our life make us cry because they look like Grandpa Richardson who passed away last August. When you see her, you just see the farmer brought you a piece of grape. But what I see is the hundreds of years of man and woman and family and family coming together to produce a thing lies inside her. Every part of my past and every expectation of my future is all wrapped up in one. That is the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit, and if you know what to look for, it's all in there. Let me say it like this. I wrote this down because even I thought it was so good. Could you imagine if you could experience love without the other parts of the fruit of the Spirit? This is, and I could do this for every part, and I will if we do that course. But this is what love looks like, and you're gonna see how the world loves each other because it feels like love to them. This is what love looks like without the other eight parts. Love without joy is cold, love without peace is fearful, scared, timid minded, and stressful. Love without patience becomes manipulation. I could spend an hour on that three-letter word I said that starts with an S a few minutes ago on that part. Just say amen and I'll skip it. Love without kindness looks like, what it looks like is an attempt to make things work together that aren't working together. Love without goodness finds people who are are serving their own hidden agendas. When two people marry each other and love each other, it works. When one person has a hidden agenda, going to be problems. Lastly, and most importantly, love without self-control is abusive as one tries to gain control over the other. You can't have love without the entire part of the fruit of the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? Three things. I'm only going to talk about one. I'm going to run, rush over the first two. If we do the course, I'll go further on the other two. But Jesus, Jesus walked in the Spirit. We see that in Matthew chapter 4 by these three things. Number one, the Word of God. Now, I don't want you to be confused that the Word is something that lays in a page. No, the Word is a legal document to your current situation and citizenship. He symbolizes it in the story of Joseph as a slave. That's a pretty good paid slave. Modern-day translation, i would be like an NBA player saying he's a slave. There's degrees of truth to it, but he's still living pretty good off Pharaoh's house. What they're saying's not a lie. It just looks different to those of us who don't make as much. I'm talking about. Okay, but then it is fulfilled when it comes along. The New Testament and says, "Hey, guess what? I made you a son." Amen. I bought you and I redeemed you, but I didn't keep you out in the field. I didn't keep you separate. I didn't give you what was left over. I brought you into the house and I made you an heir to myself. That's what has to come out of our mouth. That's our testimony in the courtrooms of heaven. Secondly, I don't have time to preach it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that Pastor talked about when we came up to Passover. This is something that's become more real alive in our life. If you follow me on Facebook, you hear me talking about it all the time and get like two likes because nobody wants to talk about fasting and self-denial. But there are certain things that you will never get off your life, and certain things you'll never get in your life if you don't go to God in fasting and prayer. That's all I got for that. But I will say, Psalms 19 gives to us. The perfect embodiment of those things. I think we have it. Psalms 19. David prayed this. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep me, your servant, from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart, that's my intellect and my emotions, be pleasing to you. Now all I have time today, and I prepared for all this as I had time for, I don't have time to preach to you about what you think. I don't have time to preach to you about what you say. I don't have time to preach to you about what you believe. But all those three things start with a right connection to God. That's why the works of the flesh, the enemies of the systems of the world, listen, for a long time we lived where people were fine if we used the word God. So we stopped saying Jesus so it wouldn't be offensive to people, and we just started saying God. Now if we just say Juh, they're offended before we can finish the Jesus part. Because there is authority in that belief, in that knowledge, in that reality that can break chains, change hearts, change minds, rearrange situations like everything else is a temporary fix. Left to your own environment, left to your own thoughts, left to your own wishes, you will take a God-given challenge and give it a man-made result, which will only bring thorns, thistles, and a heartache in the long run. But if you're connected to God Almighty, here's what he said, and I'm circling the runway. John 15. I am the true grapevine. This is Christ speaking. And my father is the gardener. Again, I know this is not going to be popular. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. cuts off. Verse 4. Remain in me and I'll remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitless unless you remain, be fruitful unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, I'm the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Now, I know some of us, and it's okay if you're believing for that. You think that much, Bruce, is houses and lands and all that kind of stuff. And, man, if God God gives it to you and you believe for that, I don't have any problem with that. But I believe in context what he's talking about is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I got about four sentences left, and I'm going to close. When you when you were raised a southern preacher, you are never done. You just finish. That's how I used to eat. You're laughing, but I could not be more sincere than sin itself. I prayed that prayer from Psalms and all kinds of things in my life were revealed. I'd never even thought of it to the point. I'm not sure I'm going to pray it again anytime soon. What you think will produce what you say? What you say will produce what you believe. What you believe will produce what you do. What you do will produce what God and his principles manifest through you. I was raised in a Christian home and except for 10 years where I wanted to go to church and sit in in a row, I'd go to a church and if they talked to me, I'd pick a new church. I'm not proud of it. I'm just. I'm just saying. It. I didn't want to do this. Except for that ten-year span, been to a lot of church services. In fact, most Sundays before I come here online, I've already been in four or five. Just always have loved church, and it never really hit me until just a month or so ago. That's how what a dumb slow learner I am. That you have to exercise the thoughts of your mind like you would exercise to learn how to play the piano. Sometimes as Christians, we get so caught up in what it looks like we're doing that we forget the foundation of what we're even thinking because what we're thinking is what we're really saying. And what we're really saying is what we're really believing. And what we're really believing is what we're really doing. And what we're really doing is what we're going to manifest or God's going to manifest through us. Just say amen. So what then shall we do? And and if we do the course, I'll explain all these things. I promise. Each one will only only take a month. I'm kidding. Here's what we do. Number one, be connected to God. Everything is the result of that. Now, I'm about to tell you something, and I'm not saying it's for you. Did at the Shorey House through a time of prayer and whatever, we decided that we were going to reinstitute. Yeah, I heard what I said, but it's the truth. We're going to reinstitute family devotion and we're going to start with an emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit. And we put it in the scriptures of the fruit of the Spirit. We put it literally on the wall in nearly every room of the house. The first one was in the living room and we went right up over the TV. As soon as I went over the TV, my mind thought, This is probably going to change some of the things I'm watching on that. And I'm not saying I was watching what you were watching. I'm just saying I was watching less than what I wanted him to manifest through me. There's a difference between I'm I'm running around a drunkenness and then running around and not fulfilling my full destiny. Oh, I don't have time to preach that. I no sooner thought that, and my oldest turned and looked at me, who coincidentally is named Grace, Turned to me and she said, Dad, I think this is going to change what we're going to watch in here. (laughs) Oh, let it be by the mouths of two or three. It's been established now. My point is, if you focus on all the things you can't do, you'll never be able to do it. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to pray two prayers. You're going to put up one hand if you got things on you you need off. So you got debt you can't pay. Come on. You got debt you can't pay. You got jobs that don't pay. Anybody there? You got addictions you can't cure. You got problems you can't solve. I promise you, if you go to the mountain and look at the mountain, you'll die in that mountain. But we're going to pray a prayer where you look to he who has overcome to he who has already redeemed you. And he's going to let you in those first few moments of prayer feel like a redeemed slave. But if you linger just a little bit before that prayer, before that, the, the Bible talks about in Corinthians that godly sorrow work of the repentance that not needed to be ashamed of. When there's, godly, uh, rep- God, when, there's, uh, when there's godly sorrow that leads to a change of mind, it then leads to an understanding he didn't keep you a slave. He's making you a son. That's the first prayer I'm going to play. And then I'm going to pray for the people who need stuff put in them. Some of you need to be prophesying a little more. Some of you need to be quoting the scripture a little more. Some of you need to be... Some of you need to be saying, I'm a little more hungry for the things of God. I'm a little less hungry for the things of life. Some of you need things put in you, and some of you need things put off of you. And if you're not in one of those categories, you're either dead or blind. Who right now would give me a shout of an amen and say, I absolutely believe that Christ can change me afresh and anew this morning. Would you raise your hand? If you believe that, stand right now.